Father, we are grateful for this gift, the treasure of your word, these living words that pierce and cut and heal and bind up, convict and encourage. Lord, you know that that there are way too many things happening here this morning in the hearts and lives of these people. There is no way that I could land these words in each of these circumstances in exactly the way that all of us would need to be addressed by you today. But you can. And Spirit of God, you come and you, you take this feeble man and you bring the words of the Lord through your word and your power to to land in our lives. And so come, Lord, come in power. Bring transformation. Bring life where there is none. Bring conviction if need be. Break hard hearts. Shatter hearts of stone. Cold indifference to you. In your love, Lord, reach down. Bind up those who would hurt, Lord. Encourage the, the, the brokenhearted. Heal wounds. And give hope, we pray. All of these things, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Ruth, this is the second sermon in a, in a series of eight. I titled this sermon, Resignation or Resolve. We're going to be covering... Uh, Not all of the remaining verses in chapter 1, but 6 through 18 this morning. And I just want to uh, kind of move through this step by step, piece by piece. And our challenge is we're so far removed from this, when this took place, even the culture and the context that it happened. So it is on us to enter into the story, to try our best to identify with these people and the circumstances. And that's what we're going to give a shot for this morning. Let's begin with verses 6 through 10, I, I titled this, uh, this section here, Going Home Empty. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Just pause for a second and consider this. This is... Uh, This is Naomi now, whose husband has uh, died, and both of her sons have died. And there is a a real challenge for this lady. She has two daughters-in-law that are with her. They're kind of this this very pain-ridden family. They, They have this very awkward situation. They're She's in a foreign land. Her daughters-in-law are at home. And she decides, you know what? It's time to go home. It's time to go home. She finds this resolve because she learns that she is in the fields of Moab through just happenstance, just just random chance maybe. No. This is an amazing little window into this. She learns that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. So the breadbasket, Bethlehem, is now fertile again and there's grain and there's barley and there's food of plenty god sends this message to her all these miles away puts it in her heart to go home 
So she begins this return trip. The three of them set out, and they, they begin this trip together. I don't know how far they went, but they're going together, these three ladies who have all lost tremendously. They've all suffered the loss of their husband. And Naomi especially has lost, in addition, two sons, her only sons. Reflecting back on Moab, you can't help but try to enter into this journey. I was having this flood of memories as I was thinking about my childhood and some of my memories and some of the experiences I've had. And what will happen is, is when I'm driving through on the way to LaGrande, we'll drive through Yakima, which is where I spent a lot of time growing up. And, and I'll see a place and I'll say, I remember that. That's where I got my, my first truck right there. Or we ate at this restaurant back when it was something else. And you, you, you have these landmarks that spark memories. So 10 years earlier, Naomi made this trek with the family of four, her husband and her two sons. And she's journeying back now, heading back up north and then beginning to turn to the west to come around and cross the Jordan and, and head back into the promised land. And I imagine she's having some reflections. In fact, she might be thinking, you know, if I had it to do over again, if we could have just done things differently. Maybe we should have never come. Maybe we should have just stayed and trusted and prayed, Lord, we need you. Turn from our sin. Try to influence those around us. Listen, soften your hearts to the Lord. Come back. He will bless. He's promised. It was short-term gain and long-term loss. That's a a theme that we're going to see reoccur today. She's coming home empty. You can't help but imagine what she's thinking. Okay, so Bethlehem is a small town. It's very small. Insignificant, even. The word travels quickly. What's it going to be like to go home? How how in the world will I survive? Naomi is an older woman. There's no man to, to, to cover her or to protect her. There's no land for her to own or to, to work, that's been mortgaged, right? How is she going to survive? She have to glean. Trusting upon the provision of others, the corners of the fields that were left, she would have to glean, but she's an older lady. How is she going to do that? I mean, physically, that's going to be difficult for her to even survive, to have food to eat. And then the question begs this, how am I going to explain that I'm traveling with two Moabite daughters-in-law. How does that go when you trot back into Bethlehem? How am I going to explain that? It's going to be hard enough to explain that my husband died and both of my sons died. And here, well, it'd be easier just not to have to explain that at all. Now, I don't want to read too far into the text, but you know this had to be on her mind. That marriage to Moabite women, both of those that her sons did, that was completely forbidden by the Lord. Not because God is prejudiced or racist, but because they were pagan culture. They were idolatrous people, and they were commanded not to intermarry with them because it would lead their heart astray. They broke that command and the Lord took their lives. 
I believe. How is she going to explain this? How, how are they going to survive? What are they going to do? What future do they have? I mean, if you stop to think, my sons disobeyed the command of the Lord and they married these Moabite wives and now, now they're with me and they're coming to Bethlehem. They're coming back to the promised land. That's a temptation for other men to make the same mistake. What if God strikes them down? More pain, more heartache. So she says this, verse 8, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. You can hear uh, the, the care and the love that Naomi has for these two ladies, daughters-in-law. She wants what's best for them. Uh, the problem is, is this is complex. This is, comp this is a mess. It's not, it's not really that easy. Does this make sense? Is this, is this what we would want as the best good for Orpah and for Ruth? Is, is this the best? Hmm. Just plant that question. They respond, and uh, verse 10, they say, no, we will return with you to your people. This is an expression of their love for Naomi. Now, this is, this is a special thing. Sometimes daughters-in-law and, and mothers-in-law uh, have kind of a built-in enmity you know, and so they would just call that what it is. Sometimes it's there, but not, not so much here. This is, this is a special thing, right? There is love. There is rapport. There's respect for Naomi. These ladies are willing here to not just say, we'll go with you, but they're already going with her. They're on the journey away from home. They're leaving Moab to go with Naomi, where they know the future is bleak. And in the face of her encouragements to return, they say, no, we, we're not going to go back. We're with you. We're in this together. There's some loyalty there that's commendable. Now, verse 11 through 13, dis dis disillusionment and despair. This is Naomi here kind of revealing where she's at. Verse 11, Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way. For I'm too old to have a husband. Or I should say I have hope. Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is locked in. And she's trying to assess this. As their journey, they're on the way. They're, 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 they're walking together. And she's putting these puzzle pieces together and saying, I, I, I can't find a way for this to work. It's not going to work. A few things happening here. One is the weight of, of despair and and discouragement it has become for Naomi uh, just a focus 
And all she can think about is just one thing. Here's what it is. There is no way that I can have more sons that can rise up and do what God has given them to do. Now, what she's referring to here is the name, the carrying on of the name. This was huge. If you are an Israelite and you're in this land, you have a piece of property and you have a name and the generations that carry that name are critical. God has given protection built into this, this, this cultural uh, dynamic that's happening. It's called liveret marriage. And, and uh, you have the Lord commanding this. It's a fascinating thing to carry on the name. Listen to what he says. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So you see some things in this. Number one, the name is very important. There's a a name to be carried on here. Number two, there is a a duty given to these brothers that they are to then take and, in a sense, bring under their wing uh, the widow that is left, especially a widow that has no sons. This is so important. The problem that Ruth has is that there is absolutely no possibility for this to take place she's an older lady she has no sons there's no way this is going to happen and so she's she's putting these pieces together and saying there's no future here orpa ruth listen no hope with me no future and we step back and say oh naomi you're missing it you're missing something important one of the things naomi just cannot conceive is that there would be any kinsman to redeem these daughters-in-law. She's not only noticing the fact that there's no sons and there won't be sons, she's saying, I can't even think of anybody, a relative or anyone that would be close enough to, to be a kinsman redeemer to these daughters-in-law, to take them as their wife, to, to bestow the, the family name on to them and carry it forward. And so she says, there's no hope. Go back, go back. And then she says, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I was surprised to see how many people disagree with Naomi's assessment at this point. They want to suggest that God, you know, God would not do that. God is just involved in the good, right? That God would not have a hand in these painful, horrible things that have befallen this family. And friends, while that might bring some comfort to us, that has a way of putting God in a box. It has a way of reducing a God who who made commandments and then warned that discipline would fall if those commandments were broken. We, we can't suggest that, that God is just like, ah, well, I know I said it, but I don't really follow through. Like a parent who counts to five and then six and then seven and then eight and they just keep counting. He is slow to anger. But do not trifle with this God. 
He warns for our good that we may heed His warning. This is an honest and true assessment that Naomi gives. And God has dealt with this disobedience in her family in a very stern way. Not unjustly, not in any unrighteousness, but yeah, it's bitter, it's heavy, it's painful and difficult. And especially for these two Moabites who are now just kind of floating in this middle ground. What are we supposed to do? They have no children. They have no husbands. Oh, but God has a plan. A tale of two Moabites. Let's see this, verses 14 through 18. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. There's some cultural things that we can lose in this. She kissed, and in, in that kiss is, is a goodbye. It's a kiss goodbye. Orpah received this encouragement, even exhortation, to return home, to go back to Moab. Hmm. This is a tragic mistake. This is, this is a, an altogether horrible decision that Orpah has made. Now, the thing is, is in the short term, it, it feels like a good idea, right? Short, short-term gain. You get to go home. You, you're, in a sense, released from this obligation that you feel for your mother-in-law. You want to make sure she's okay. She's saying, I'll be okay. You go home, take care of yourself. And so you say, well, okay, I guess I'll go. Listen to what the next verse reveals. Verse 15 Naomi said this to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. And then Naomi says this, Return after your sister-in-law. The short-term gain she benefits from and going home to her family. Orpah returns. She has what she needs. She's probably protected by her parents and her, her home, her, her culture, her language, and her gods. It's the way of the world. It's the way of least resistance. This is a decision to turn away from the Lord from the influence of Yahweh, from the, the, the atmosphere of hope and trust and faith in the God who is, and to return to falsehood and darkness and pagan idolatry. But it's familiar and it's comfortable. And so she goes. And we should grieve at this decision. And we should say to Naomi, Stop! Stop this! Don't send them back to Moab. Bring them to the promised land. They have far more hope to be provided for under the Lord's care in the atmosphere of God's people than in pagan Moab. But Naomi is locked in. She is only thinking on this plane. She's not engaging the vertical, the most important relationship. 
that these daughters-in-law need more than anything. However, Ruth clung to her. A very different response. Ruth is faith-filled in her resolve. This is not resignation. This is resolve. This is a faith-filled resolve. Now, watch what she says. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord, may Yahweh do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Wow. That's awesome. Consider what she has just said. Consider the implications of this. I will go where you go, Naomi. I will follow you and I will live where you live. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. This is, this is conversion, friends, or at least the expression of conversion. That may be the equivalent for us of baptism. I am all in. I'm holding nothing back. I believe in Yahweh. He is my God. I, I want to be part of his people, your people, my people. I would imagine in this there are echoes of stories of God's deliverance, his hand to bring them out of Egypt, his power, his, his shattering of the gods of Egypt. That happened just, just a few generations earlier, right? And she's saying, this is who I am now. I know I grew up in Moab. I know I was a pagan, but not anymore. I'm his, and I'm with you. And where you die, I'll die. You bury me right beside. And if I don't follow through on this, take my life, Lord. Take my life. It's incredible. She's chosen to leave parents and other family, which means protection and provision. She's chosen a very difficult road. She has no clue at this point how this is going to play out. No clue. The Moabitess displays the tenacious faith in the Lord. This is what Naomi needs, isn't it? Leaving familiarity, a new language, a new culture, a new land. Think of what our missionaries have gone through in leaving all of this to go there to carry the gospel. She is literally choosing from everything she knows widowhood and childlessness for the rest of her life. She has no concept that this is going to work out the way it does, and, and we have this, this window into how the story unfolds, but she's saying, basically, this is, this is fine with me. I'm with you, and I'm with Yahweh. Come with me. If that means I am a widow for the rest of my life, from as a young woman all the way to the end, that's fine. If that means I have no children, no name, no heritage, nothing at all, that's fine. I'm with you, and I'm with him. She's choosing what would be certain poverty, marginalization, and hardship. She's coming as a, a, a Moabite into God's promised land. She would be the brunt of extreme 
displeasure. There would be many who would treat her with contempt, would bring up the sin that was committed that probably was the result of her husband's death and the situation that she was in. And she says, you know what? That's fine. It's fine. I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what. Come what may. She also commits here never to return to Moab. She's, she's basically saying, Lord, if I change up what I've committed here, you take my life. I'm not going back. I'm all in. The world behind me, the cross before me. That sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? This is Ruth's statement of faith in the Lord. She makes a pledge, and the pledge comes to, to Naomi, but really, this is her baptism ceremony. She's saying, this is who I am, world. I'm following the Lord, no matter what. Awesome faith on display in these verses. What will be Naomi's response? When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now, again, I know Naomi is just hurting. <laughs> she doesn't see what happened. This is a pagan woman who is now a worshiper of Yahweh. She's fully rejecting her pagan past and embracing the Lord. She's becoming a Jew. She's experiencing what it means to be one of God's people, and Naomi has no words. She's missing what God is doing because all she sees is pain. She's resigned, but Ruth is resolved. I'm going to draw just a couple specific viewpoints into these very different responses this morning. These, these are radically different responses to the same situation. I mean, if you think about it, this is, they're both experiencing these things. They're both concerned about what is coming. They're both feeling the terrible, crushing weight of what has happened. How could two women respond so differently? Really, three women when you think about it. These are three responses. Naomi is just resigned. This is what it's going to be. There's no hope for me. It's going to be awful. Lord, you have dealt bitterly with me. That's just my lot. I'd rather just be alone in this pain. Right? You, just guys, you guys just go on home. I appreciate your gesture here, but let's leave it at that. Just go back to pagan Moab. Even to Orpah, go back to your gods. No, don't do that. Oh, friends, God will write our stories with pain on purpose. So that in those moments when our hearts are broken, he can meet us and we can speak. Naomi misses her opportunity because she's locked in, inward. It's like she's saying, my problems are too big for me. This is what can happen, this despair, this, this disillusionment, this resignation. It's just too much. 
It's too much. I can't deal with this. They're too big. My problems are overwhelming me. All I see is problems. Everywhere I look, problems, problems. I can't think about anything but problems. In a sense, it's, it's everything that I don't have as I go back to Bethlehem. Now, what was it that Orpah was thinking? Well, she was thinking everything I won't have if I go back to Bethlehem, right? Th- these are very similar, aren't they? Oh, friends, this is so real, though. We're here regularly. We are a people that are so inclined to just lock in and focus on our problems. It's as if the problem is, is, is not that big if it's held out to the Lord, but, but we do this. We just walk around. Oh, that's all I can see. I, d- I don't know. I just don't know what to do. I can't see anything. And, and God says, just hold it out to me. Watch what happens. What does Ruth do? Her response is resolve. It's, it's faith rooted. Trust in the Lord. She says, my God is bigger than my problems. Now, just clarify here. This is not the power of positive thinking. We're not creating reality with our words, as Joel Osteen, with his silliness, would lead you to believe. That's crazy. You don't create reality by just saying positive things or talking to yourself in the mirror. You're, you're a winner. No, that's, that's fake. I'll tell you what's real. Is, it's, it's not blind optimism. It's when you see God for who he is. He is ultimate reality, and he is bigger than any problem we'll face. You lock eyes with who God is when your heart hurts and when the load is heavy. And when you are under the burden, the weight, where do you look? Look to the Lord. Ruth would tell us today, look to the Lord, brothers and sisters. He's bigger. He's bigger. Consider everything we do have. Consider everything we do. We, we've received word that there's, there's food in Bethlehem. We're alive. We're together. And the Lord is on the throne. Let's go. Hmm. Fearless faith to follow and obey. That's the kind of example we have in Ruth. That's the kind of example that meets us in the trenches every day. This world is broken. This world is messed up. It is not easy. We... we, go through so many things and I meet with so many of you regularly and I hear these things these burdens these challenges these heartaches these horrible situations that you're in and I'm telling you today it is not hopeless because you are not alone lock eyes with the Lord trust him be tenacious in your faith be tenacious trust him he has a plan even for the pain. I like how Piper says it, John Piper. He says, God never wastes pain. He never wastes pain. He's not in the business of, of bringing a painful situation just to waste it and squander it. No, he is going to use that to grow you and strengthen you and build you. So our response this morning, a couple different things. There's a lot of ways that this meets us right there where we're at, but 
It's just asking this question, what are you willing to leave behind to follow the Lord, friends? Young people, what, what are you willing to leave behind to follow the Lord? Yeah, but I don't want to be that guy at work. I don't want to be that kid on campus. I just want to blend in. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be ostracized, mocked, made fun of, Jesus freak. I'd rather just be comfortable. And I guess if that means Moab, then fine. No. No. Short-term gain, long-term loss. The ship is sinking. Get out of Moab. Get to the promised land with whatever it takes. Leave it all behind. Don't hold on to that which is fading and fickle and will only steal away from you. Let it go and run with all your might to eternal grain and barley. Jesus said it this way, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Orpah, what are you doing? Don't do it. Go with Ruth. Go with Naomi. Don't fall for the mirage in the desert. It's short-lived, and it's gone. Jim Elliott captured this so well. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is the rally cry of tenacious faith, fearless faith in this day. Secondly, this. I just want to ask the question, what is the foundation of fearless faith? What's it rooted in? How is it that, that Ruth is so different? What is she locked eyes on? How has she just found a place to stand when Naomi is just teeter-tottering all over and Orpah's heading back? She found the character of God. She had heard stories. She knew who God was. And she found a place to trust. I can't help but just be called to this passage in Romans that we're going to be studying soon as uh, men's and women's study. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who who indeed is interceding for us. Think of this. Jesus, the risen King, the Savior of the nations, is praying for you today at the right hand of God the Father. You feel secure in that? 
safe in him? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the reality. That's the challenge of our lives. That is, that is the hardship, the pain, the heartache. That is Naomi's place right here. And in that place, Ruth stands and says, No, in all these things, even in the pain, even in the heartache, even when it's dark, even when we hurt, we are more than conquerors. How? Through Him who loved us. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's foundation of fearless faith. That's the foundation upon which we stand. Friends, that's the love of God. Measureless and strong. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the doctor is going to say the next time you visit. I don't know what the airline experience you're going to have or the, the traffic experience on I-5. I don't know what the phone is going to tell you when you answer the next time. None of us know this. But we can have the same fearless faith that Ruth had because we have the object of that faith and his name is Jesus. And his love is sure. And nothing can separate us. Nothing. Nothing. What can flesh do to me? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's go to the promised land. Sound good? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, lead us away from Moab and lead us to your land. Oh, take us there, Lord. Come quickly. This world is not our home. We are strangers, sojourners. It's temporary. We feel the, just the, the challenge that it is to be in this world this brokenness, we feel the weight and the, the awful reality of sin both inside waging war against us and, and all around we see brokenness and heartache and pain. And Lord, we just long for the promised land. We long to be with you face to face. We, we long to, 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 to experience what it's like to be free. No sin, no pain, no tears, no heartache all things new. Until that day, Lord, make us like Ruth. Stir in us. Work in us. Build in us. Oh God, this faith, that's what we need. Root us in your love. Reassure us with your word. Confirm in us through your spirit. And open our eyes to Jesus, the hope of all who look to him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.